Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 23rd, 2017. had a good time in San Diego, and yes, I did have In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> it has been a while since I've had a double-double animal style. Oh, that was so good. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's being put out there doctrine is just teaching, it's a fancy word for it, is far from what God's Word says or teaches. That's the idea. Instead, it's just just gobbledygook. And you know, to say that Christians are majoring on the minors would, would mean that what they're studying is actually some point of minor theology. And over and again, it's like not even what God's Word says at all. They're not even majoring on the minors. They're majoring on the, on the mush. So, all right, let's, you know, I uh, took the week off last week, needed a little bit of downtime and, uh, you know, just having a, uh, this to say that uh, things in my life have been very challenging since the middle of the summer, about the time we came back from Australia. And so it was good to have a little bit of downtime last week, traveled to San Diego. Yes, I got to have some in and out. That was like the highlight. <laughs> And uh, spoke at the uh, Here We Still Stand conference. It was good to see Dr. Montgomery. Good to see uh, the guys from the 1517 Legacy Project, and uh, and just kind of hang out and, and and relax a little bit. Although I was one of the speakers, and uh, but uh, you know it was it it was fantastic. Just a good time to recharge the battery, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, we're back in the saddle today. The Aletheia has uh, headed, out, headed back out to sea. And uh, looking at the program <laughs> dossier, oh, boy. Okay, so uh, let's, 
<laughs> I feel like we got to ease into this here because uh, it's it's going to go bad really quick. So uh, we're going to start with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, we are going to head over to the Sid Roth It's Supernatural program and listen to him and Duana De Silva. Du- Duana De Silva. Um, explaining how to discern the unseen realm, and you know, and with a, with a title like this, uh, my immediate question that I, I want to ask is, how have Christians made it this far, two millennia of uh, Christian history, w- without needing to discern the unseen realm? Why do we need to be discerning it now? You know, it's just it's weird. You know, th- these teachings that are put forward by um, these quacks on these television programs, I mean, it's just nonsense. I mean, if you just think of it on its face, it's just bizarre. Anyway, then we're going to do a Perry Stone update. This kind of, he's been talking about this hedge stuff, you know, the the hedge of protection and things like that. And so um, he's going to be explaining to us how we go about building a divine hedge of protection. I mean, do they have divine hedge of protection, do-it-yourself you know, you know, kind of packages that you can buy at Lowe's, you know, over there in the gardening department. I, you know, would you like a divine hedge of protection? Don't worry, Lowe's has one over there. And and right now, if you act there for you, you can get them at half off, you know, <laughs> because they're out of season. Oh, man. So we'll uh, check in with Perry Stone as he does that. Then we're going to go back in time. Uh, we'll kind of vi- revisit the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And uh, we're going to listen to uh, Kenneth Hagen and uh, his teaching on all things are possible. And then we're going to round out our number uh, one with uh, a Bill Johnson New Apostolic Reformation update on following his voice. That's the name of the message. And then in hour number two, C3 San Diego, might as well head back and check in with the vision casting leader himself, Jurgen Matizius, as he explains to us the maligner malady. The maligner malady. Are you suffering from the maligner malady? I, yeah, I don't know what that is either. So uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And since we actually need to kind of get into it and get to it quick, uh, let's do this. We're going to do a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. So here we go. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we had Shabbat. Yeah, that's uh, Heidi Baker and uh, Shubba. We're uh, heading over to uh, Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. And uh, we're going to be listening to Sid Roth and his guest, Donna De Silva. Duana, du- Duana De Silva. As uh, they explain to us how to discern the, the unseen realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's Sid Roth to explain. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. Do you know what sonar is? Sonar 
we didn't. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with sonar. Yeah, they, they use it on ships and submarines and things like that. Yeah, I, I know what sonar is. Have all the time. And big ships would actually plow into icebergs. Why would they plow into an iceberg? Because 90% of the iceberg was under the water and they couldn't see it. Sonar. You can see it. But they didn't have sonar. And they'd be destroyed. Oh, no. (laughs) Gasp! This is horrible! There's... Oh, back in the day before sonar, you know, there were ships and they were crossing the Atlantic and stuff like that. And and because 90% of an iceberg is under the water, I mean, they weren't able to know and and they were destroyed. Ah, so we need spiritual sonar. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I just I, <clears throat> consider what he is saying on its face. He, he, it's as if he's making the claim that, oh, now that the charismatic movement has come along and, you know, uh, we've developed new spiritual sonar technology so that you can learn how to discern and detect the unseen realm. Yeah, yeah, man. Quackery. Quackery is, I think, the right word here. That's the same way it is with the invisible world. Uh-huh. Because... In this invisible world, all around us, it's alive. Yeah. And there is a way to have something better than sonar. No. All right. What what are you selling? (laughs) Why do I feel like he's selling something? Do not only can change because this invisible world it affects your thoughts yeah. it affects your uh your marriage it affects your health and it- right it's it's like radon gas you know it, it could kill you you know just radiating signals to you but there is a way yeah. to not only be aware of it right yeah but destroy those evil signals do you want right yeah yeah <laughs> What do they call it? I forget the name of it. There's a is it a Faraday cage where you know it's made out of this copper mesh and uh, the people are actually putting you know spare computers and things like this in these Faraday cages uh, in anticipation of uh, of an electromagnetic pulse attack or something like that. And uh, and these Faraday cages, I mean, Wi-Fi doesn't get into them and stuff like that. Yeah, so you do have you built your own spiritual Faraday cage? We're going to learn how to destroy the emanations of the unseen. Uh, this is not, you know, and of course, immediately the question always comes up. Where is this taught in the scriptures again? Yeah, that's a fairly decent-sized live audience there for the uh, taping. Donna, explain to me why you say the the invisible world is filled with all sorts of activity. 
Absolutely. Um, what I find is that we think we are walking around and um, doing what we think we want to do on our own, but actually we're getting input from a lot of places. We're getting input from ourselves, we're getting input from the Lord, and we're getting input from the demonic realm. And so there's a spiritual realm talking to us. And as I was coming here, I was asking the Lord, what's going on? And the whole thing I kept hearing was, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And I felt like if God... Um, so you hear directly from God and God, in answer to the question, what's going on, says all of his promises are yes and amen. That's not even lucid. Speaking that, then the enemy is probably telling people he's forgot about you. He's there. He's probably telling people, oh, there's no hope. Or, you know, that promise he told you years ago, it's not. Um, you know, I, maybe I have already built like a pirate Faraday cage or something because I've never received those emanations that, that where I have heard those signals saying God has forgotten about you. And, and the weird thing is, is that I use this really old technology. I it's yeah, it's been around for a while. Um, have you heard of a Bible? Mm hmm. Now, granted, I mean, it's been a while since I've cracked open my leather-bound Bible. It's been a while since I've done that. Um, but, I, you know, I'm reading the Scriptures every day, praying the Psalms every day, and, you know, and stuff like that. And, and so using this old technology in a new way, I mean, on, on my iPad. Um, but even before that, you know, I was reading the Bible every day. I never once have received, a, you know, a an emanation from the unseen spiritual realm, one of these weird signals where, you know, this is the devil speaking, and I just want to let you know, God has forgotten about you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I that's not happened to me. Yeah. ...come to pass. And I just wanted to speak that, oh, you just want to turn off that station right now. And yeah, okay. Um, um, <laughs> what? Uh, what? Just going to say no to that station and yes to God's promises. All right, so Satan has his own radio station. Got it. Okay. It, it came out of your mouth so smoothly, but you know it's so true. You're listening to another station. You think it's you, but it isn't. But I'm not. <laughs> I. Huh, this doesn't even sound remotely like me. What are you talking about? You think that that wife or that husband is, is just awful, but that isn't them. You're getting the wrong transmission. Start doing something about it. Turn the channel. Um, but in some weird way, I feel like this is really good advice, but it should be applied to anybody who wants to watch Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. You, you know, I, 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 is it on like terrestrial television? I, I'm curious. It, it affects our mood, our tone. Uh, explain. Right. So what everyone thinks that there's demons just hanging around you all the time, but actually it's a relationship between what you believe they're telling you and you acting it out. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it's just, I 
have no clue what any of this means. If you actually take that station and you say yeah. yes to it and you begin acting out, let's say rage is saying, you need to just hit that person over there. And then you take. So rage is rage a, a, a demon and rage talks to me on a radio station and says, go and hit that person. Yeah, no, I, I've never heard that station swing at him, the enemy can walk away. Right. Because you've now released an atmosphere that he doesn't have to stir up anymore. And, and you know- right. Um, if you listen to K-R-A-G-E, uh, apparently that's a, a demonic station. Once you listen to the station and you act out on the broadcast with your actions, then you release an atmosphere and you don't even need to listen to K-R-A-G-E anymore. Um, yeah, the, the, apparently the demon's done its thingy. Okay. picture I have as you're saying that is all this road rage is oh. going on where people are killing people. I'm- right, so road rage is caused by a demonic radio station. These are people that would never think of this type of rage. Absolutely. Uh-huh. You know, uh, a passage comes to mind here. Um, are you familiar with, like, those passages in, like, the book of Galatians and, you know, and other places that talk about the um, uh, the uh, the desires of the flesh? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm just saying. Um, like, Galatians 5. Let, let's see if we can figure something out here. Galatians 5, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the, listen to the word, flesh. Yeah, in Greek, sarks. Uh-huh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the, listen, flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you know, um, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the, listen, the flesh are evident. And they are as follows. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. And Thumas could be rage as well. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, so you'll note then that Scripture, God the Holy Spirit, you know, inspired the Apostle Paul to write the epistle to the churches in Galatia. And, um, and yeah, fits of anger or rage is attributed to not well not the uh, the demonic uh, radio stations but it's actually a sin of the flesh which means <laughs> the origin of such things is your own sinful nature mm-hmm. not making this up that's what the bible says so we got a problem here because here duana de silva and uh, sid roth are making it sound like when it comes to you know things like rage and stuff like that. That that's all a result of a of a demonic atmosphere being released after you listen to a bad demonic radio station. But scripture says that that stuff comes right out of your heart, out of your own flesh. But they're being egged on egged with on. that transmitter. Absolutely. Egged on. Okay. What would you say is the first step 
to having dominion over these voices. Yeah, yeah. Step one, what is it? You have to actually believe it exists. I mean, you have to, you know, what happened in the church is we had discerners that made messes because it was like everything was a demon and we were complaining about stuff. And so the church swung past the truth that we're in a spiritual war all the way over to it's all good. Oh, there's no demonic. No, there's nothing. And we forget what's shooting at us. And so when my husband. I'm not denying that the devil tempts people. I am not denying that. We can come under demonic influences and in, in be tempted to sin. But where in Scripture does it talk about demonic radio stations and things like this? Says something that hurts my heart. I'm instantly, you know, at him rather <laughs> wow. than oh, oh, wait a minute. Was that like a karate move? Was that a kiop? What was that? That probably was him um, speaking out of what the enemy's telling him to say. Because he knows what's going to hurt my heart. So it's like two against one. It is, but. (laughs) Right, which is not a good way to play basketball. Have the triune nature of God. Oh, three against two. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) Okay, yeah, don't forget God's a trinity. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, You say we can literally change atmospheres. Is there a way for us to discern what's going on in that invisible world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, let's get to the spiritual sonar thingy. I mean, bing, bing. Oh, I'm detecting demons. Bing. <laughs> uh, okay. The, from the atmosphere. Absolutely. But you have to practice. All right, so you got to practice this this thing. I find that most people already pick up or sense or or discern, but they don't know because they just are acting out of it. So once you start paying attention to how is my normal, what what would that look like? Then any what <laughs> I am one hundred percent certain. In fact, one hundred and one percent certain. You can't. That's not even a statistical thing, but one hundred and one percent certain. There's nothing in Scripture that says to look inside and ask yourself, what's my normal, in order to discern. (laughs) This is nuts! That comes out from that is actually helping me to know, oh, I'm probably picking up and responding to an atmosphere. But you have to... Right, yeah. You you don't want to pick up or respond to atmospheres. Bad things happen, man. I mean... You you can find yourself like punching your grandma in the face if you you know you listen to a demonic atmosphere radio station. You've got to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I notice a lot of people on diets. I haven't gotten this far, by the way. Uh, a lot of people on diets, they know when they're full. I don't know when I'm full, but they know when they're full and they stop. But it came from practice. Practice. Right. Yeah. Uh, are, are are you practicing? Are you, are you, <laughs> I just don't even. What is this? It has to. You know, I get asked all the time, Donna, how did you learn so much about this discernment? And I said, Yeah, because none of what you're saying is actually in the Bible. Sight. And they're like, no, really, you must have, you know, spent all this time in hindsight. I learned so much by um, getting tricked by the enemy. <laughs> that Yeah, you, you, you missed the last one. It's clear to me. You missed the last demonic trick because <laughs> what you're buying into and what you're promoting here is nowhere taught in Scripture. I hate to say this, Duana, but you've been deceived. 
Yeah, you, you, you missed the last one. Finally realized, oh, you know, trick me once, okay, trick me twice, you don't trick me a third time. No, clearly he did. No, no, the devil did. You were listening to an atmosphere thingy. So it's hindsight. It's like, no, practice this stuff. Find out. Talk to people. What are you sensing? I was on a trip one time. What are you sense? What do you sense with? <laughs> Your sense of smell, touch. I mean, what are you sensing with? I was so grumpy. And I'm thinking, oh, it's just hormonal. You know, and I like to say to women, you can't be hormonal 365 days. Okay. <laughs> Your husbands can thank me for that. But I'm, I'm grumpy and I can't change it. And I'm like, God, what's wrong with me? And I think I have the Holy Spirit, but what's wrong with me? And I, I finally decide I better warn my team. <laughs> now we're going into some kind of a weird, poorly acted flashback from uh, Donna's life. I, I walk out to my team and I said, guys, I'm so sorry, but I'm just feeling grumpy today. And so, you know, if I if I hurt your heart, I'm so sorry. Just just know up front. It's not I'm not trying to. And I look. Right. I'm feeling grumpy today. It, yeah, clearly, I've been tapping into the wrong atmosphere. So if I hurt your heart, well, yeah, you know, team and they're all kind of grumpy looking. The whole team was grumpy. OK, I'm like, oh. Oh, is anybody else grumpy? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I just said, okay. So we grabbed hands. We said, you know, we see you, um, irritation. We are not going to partner. We, we see you, irritation. Do you know how irritating your false teaching is to me? And we send you back, and instantly we were all better. So they got rid of irritation, and, and the grumpiness just went away. They degrumpified themselves. Things like health. Yep. How does it, how does the invisible world affect that? Well, you know, it. And the enemy's always throwing arrows and darts, and he's just doing all of this stuff at us. And and you know, if the enemy says to you, um, "You don't feel good," and then you know someone coughs next to you, and you're like, "Oh." Oh, 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 I don't feel good. I mean, we actually can partner with what he's saying about the atmosphere. You know, speak. <laughs> Why does anyone think that this is legit? What? <laughs> this is just absurd. Oh, no. I've partnered with an atmosphere. Ah, now I'm sick. I, <laughs> this, <laughs> I, this, okay, okay. I'm trying to pull myself together here. Clearly, I have partnered with an atmosphere of absurdity, and I'm now acting it out. Um, so, so uh, man, okay. So there's there's false doctrine. That comes from, you know, like twisting God's word, okay? That's when somebody handles a text wrongly and then teaches a doctrine that's not actually in Scripture. We, we understand that, a twisting of God's word. Then there's like just straight-up rank mythology. This is up there with like old wives' tales, all right? I mean, do you remember when you were a kid? All right, and you were walking down the sidewalk, and there you are, you're walking down the sidewalk, and you're minding your own business, and all of a sudden, your friend yells out at you, Ah, you stepped on a crack, you're going to break your mom's back. And you're thinking, what? If I step on a crack, I'm going to break my mama's back? 
and and yeah, you just stepped on your crack on a crack right there in the pavement. That you're oh you're yeah your mom's gonna her back's gonna break. And you're thinking, what planet are these people from? This is that. This is step on a crack, break your mama's back. I mean, this is that kind of absurd. It's it's just nonsense, superstitious gobbledygook. I, nothing that she's saying is biblical. There's no biblical text that teaches any of this stuff. And the fact that she's on some nationally syndicated television program with hundreds of thousands, thousands if not millions of viewers, and they're being taught this and, and thinking this has something to do with Christianity, that's the kind of the sad part. But, I mean, on its face, this is just nonsense. It, huh, the Bible doesn't teach any of this. All right, I think you kind of get the idea. I'm going to have to kind of reshuffle my uh, my program dossier here. I don't think we're going to be able to get to Bill Johnson. We'll save him for another day. But uh, we're going to take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous edition of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we got Perry Stone and Kenneth Hagan for sure. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Your words have no power to create reality. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people heal the Word of Knowledge, and 40 healed doing the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out, put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it, all about, you put your right foot in, you take your right foot out, you put your right foot in, you take your right foot out, you put your right foot in, you take your right foot out, put it in, and you shake it, 
with the arms uh, nothing nothing real effect but then as soon as I just start we started doing the whole we'll put your left foot in your right foot in both of my knees you know one at a time I could just feel all of a sudden it's like there was no pain I said you said start checking yourself I just squat down that's awesome thank you Lord for new knees in Jesus name come on come on um, I've had back problems most of my life and a couple of we- about a week ago my back had gone out and it was somewhat better but it was still sore up until today, and when we did that hokey pokey, and she came up and testified, all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Shake it, shake it, shake it all about. You put your whole head in, you take your whole head out. You put your whole head in, take your whole head out. You put your whole head in, take your whole head. I put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about, and you shake, shake it, it all and you shake it, 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 and you shake it. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. 
what if um the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that much of what's being taught today as Christianity is just nonsense, mythology, superstition. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says, Donate. The other says, Join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. That's right. You get to pick your rank. And it's based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, time for a Perry Stone update, and that requires us to do this. I'm a net. I'm a net. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour loose. But I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy. But I'm a net. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. Head on my shoulders is sorry loose, and I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. All right, so uh, the American evangelical fascination with hedges of protection, and I understand that it is you. It's a descriptive term used by the devil re, uh, in regards to Job, <laughs> but to, ta- to take a metaphor and turn it in. It's just like a literal thing. I just, oh, man, it's just crazy. That's the only way I can describe it. And, of course, I think we've already telegraphed our punch as far as our views of uh, Perry Stone. But here's Perry Stone in the Holy Land explaining to us how we can build divine hedges of protection. 
And I mean, I mean, seriously, if this was a biblical doctrine, then I should be able to go to a biblical text and, you know, and read out something from, you know, one of the prophets or the apostles, thus saith the Lord, here is how thy buildeth thy divine hedge, O protection. But there's no text like that. Uh, here's Harry Stone. Let me stay on the subject as I talk about building a hedge. In the book of Job, we read this. The Lord said unto Satan, if you considered my servant Job, there's none like him on the earth. Yeah. A blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? You've made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side. You bless the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, this word hedge, I looked this up in, in the Hebrew, it's the word suk, and it means to entwine for protection or to restrain. In fact, there's a word you'll be familiar with, which is called sukkot, and sukkot happens to be the Hebrew word for... Okay, I, I, as informative as it is to reference the biblical Hebrew on this, I mean, I, yeah, sure. Again, in order for what you're going to say next to actually be biblical, we're going to need a text that says, here's how you do it. Um, building divine hedges and stuff like that. There's no divine hedge building text anywhere in Scripture. They're tabernacles, and it's the seventh festival of Israel where the Jewish people live in booths outside their home. And the booth provides a covering for them in the weather, and that's why they live under the booth. So what the hedge does, the root word for that word hedge is to, pr to provide a covering or some form of, pr of a protection for an individual or for a person. Now, when you look at this word, uh, in Numbers chapter 33 and 55, uh, it talks about thorns, uh, thorns, uh, uh, hedging something in with thorns. And I want to read to you a verse. In fact, I want to skip over that and come down here to Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to give you a spiritual principle here. It says, He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Yeah, okay, now stop, that. stop, stop, stop. Okay, just so Lamentations is using the um, the Hebrew word, Suk and uh, Lamentations three seven out of context says he has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. All right, let's take a look at it in context. And already, if you're paying attention to like nouns and verbs and stuff, then um, then you're going to note that um, <laughs> that uh, that well, God's the he, and he's doing the hedging. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, so uh, let me see if that's the actual uh, Hebrew word. No, it's not. It's not even the word suk. Anyway, okay. I'm just looking ahead in the Hebrew here. All right. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1, applying our three rules for sound biblical exegesis. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet writes, I am the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath he is driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains 
heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Now, wait, wait, wait a second here. Okay, number one, the, 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 the Hebrew word that is used in Lamentations 3, verse 7, uh, in whatever translation he's using. Let's see if I could figure out. The, he doesn't say which translation he's using. But the, uh, the, uh, the Hebrew word is not suk. It's gadar. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means walled. Mm-hmm. So already this teaching is getting to be uh, super-de-duper sketchy. Yeah, it's, uh, dubious. Um, uh, it's, um, it's not standing up to scrutiny. Nope, nope, it's not. Um, so he, I mean, he goes on. He made the point of saying that the Hebrew word is suk. And we get the, you know, uh, the Feast of Booth, Sukkot, from the, this word for hedging. And, well, in Lamentations 3, it's Gadar. Yeah, I hate when that happens. Because <laughs> now, you know, whatever's coming next. It, it's just like, this is just not even good biblical scholarship at all. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about the, what I would call the opposite side of a hedge. I think of a hedge of something that God invent, builds in the spiritual world that's invisible that keeps things from the outside getting on the inside. For example, the Bible said in Psalms, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear God and delivers them. I believe that in Job's case, when there was a hedge around Job, his wife, his 10 children, the sheep, the camel, the oxen, all the animals that he had. I believe that hedge was an invisible encampment of angels. When the hedge was removed, I believe that angels removed their presence. And that's how Satan, who was a fallen angel, motivated the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans to come in uh, to steal the animals from Job. Also, a whirlwind came and destroyed the house. So I believe that the hedge was lifted because there was no angelic protection there to protect Job. The reason I'm saying that... Yeah, you believe that, but what text says it? You're engaging in all kinds of rank speculation. It doesn't say. To you is that everybody I do believe who's a true believer has assigned to them a guardian angel. Sometimes there may be an encampment of angels surrounding a church or a ministry or a group of people that may be on the mission fields. And those angels are assigned to protect the person, to direct them, to lead them, to help and assist them. Now, it's true. Scripture is clear that angels are ministering spirits. This is absolutely true. But you're going way, way, way beyond Scripture at this point in talking about hedge removal and things like that. We continue. Especially if there's any form of danger. You know, when Elijah was on a mountain like this and the Syrian army came to capture him, he got up and looked around. And he wasn't afraid of the Syrian army. He told his servant, he said, look down, look down at the mountains. What do you see? He said, I see armies. And he said, well, look on the top of the mountain. What do you see? The servant said, I see nothing. He said, well, you better let me pray for you. And when he laid hands on his servant's eyes, he saw horses of fire and chariots of fire around the mountain. And the prophet of God said this to his servant. There are more forests than there are against us. The angels of God, the invisible beings that protect, had surrounded the man of God and his servant to prevent the Syrian army from coming in and taking them captive. God. Yeah, that's true. And it's absolutely true that angels protect us, but you're, you're overcooking things here. 
as a host of armies. As a matter of fact, God's name, one of his names, is called the Lord of hosts. And yeah, Yahweh Sabaoth. Hebrew, the word host can mean the host in the form of the cosmic lights, the sun, moon, and stars. But the word can also mean a mass of persons prepared for war. Yeah, an army. Savah. Especially for war and battle. And when God says, I'm the Lord of hosts, he's actually saying, I am the God of the heavenly armies. I'm the God of the angels that will go forth and fight for you. And so I want you to understand the hedge that God builds around us and how that that hedge is connected to angels who are assigned to lead us, guide us, and direct us. Now back to that verse I just mentioned in Lamentations, and I'll read it to you again and comment on it. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy, Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 7. Now that's the New King James Version, and notice when we read it in context, that wasn't God protecting <laughs> I mean, the Hebrew word is Gadar. God gave me a word, and I want to speak this to parents right now. God gave this to you to give to parents. I seriously doubt that. Perhaps have a daughter or a son or grandchildren that are not serving the Lord, and maybe they're involved with some heavy sin activity. I think one of the things that probably brings stress and frustration and at times fear in the hearts of a parent or grandparent is to have a child who is addicted to alcohol. Knowing sometimes they're, they're maybe at a bar, sometimes they're out driving, and not knowing where they are in the late wee hours of the morning. And then there are other times that... I would be more worried if my children were attending your church. Yeah, yeah both life-threatening. But the worst thing that can happen you know, is that uh, if they go to a bar and get drunk, they could get in an accident and die. That's the worst thing that can happen to them. But attending a bad church where the pastor clearly manipulates Scripture and teaches stuff that isn't really in the text and focuses on stuff that isn't really taught in the Scripture, uh, the worst thing that can happen to my child would be they end up in hell. There's drug addiction, and you always are saying to yourself, God, are they going to actually do something with drugs where it's going to take their life? Is my child going to be harmed? Are they going to die prematurely? So the only thing I can say is this, that you can ask God to put a hedge around them so that they can't get out. Now, let's read this verse again, because this is very... What? (laughs) So in my prayer time, I need to be asking God to put a hedge around my kids that they can't get out of. Wouldn't that be like a straitjacket? I got a revelation from this some time ago. He's hedged me in so that I cannot get out. Now, we think of a hedge as being something like this wall to where that on the outside can't get in. That's God's hedge that he had with Job. The enemy is on the outside. Satan is watching on the outside, trying to get in. But there's a hedge built where the enemy can't get in. And unless the hedge is removed, then the enemy can't have access. But what if I say that I'm living on the inside and there's a barrier set that there's certain places I can't go and certain things I cannot do because I'm hedged in. When one of my precious, precious loved ones, someone that I love very dear, was really struggling in their life, I didn't know how to pray. And you know, the enemy comes if you're a parent and if you're a grandparent or if you're just someone that has close friends and he plays with your mind. The enemy will say things. I tell you, some of you have gone through this. I'll take your child prematurely. 
I'll take your loved one prematurely. They will die prematurely in an accident or they'll die drunk or they'll die with drug addiction. So what I think that a believer should do is say this, God, I pray a hedge of thorns that they will not be able to do certain things and they will not step outside of that head. This sounds like a magic spell rather than a prayer. I pray a hedge of thorns. Can you give me an example from Scripture where somebody prayed a hedge of thorns? Thorns where the enemy can harm them in the name of Jesus. You see, uh, in the time of Christ and even, even today, when shepherds are watching sheep, and they know that there are wild animals that would eat those sheep. They bring the sheep into a cave at night. Now, a lot of times in the winter, they have to build a fire to keep themselves warm. But what they do is they will, they will find thorn bushes and they will lay those thorn bushes in front of that cave so that nothing on the outside can get in like a wild beast without going through the thorns. And also so nothing on the inside, meaning sheep, can pass through in the night. The shepherd will actually lay down on the ground many times on the inside or outside of those bushes, making... So what? <laughs> so what if shepherds did that in the ancient world? What does that have to do with anything? That nothing crosses into the, to the inside or nothing on the inside can get out. Now, what I'm saying is simply this, that hedges are so important. And I believe that if they're that important, why doesn't God teach us to pray them or pray for them? You're like at everything you've said, you like added it to scripture. Something that God sovereignly does. He simply says, all right, now that you're a believer, now that you're following me, I'm going to put a protection around you. I'm going to build a barrier around you. I know I'm thinking right now of even the example of when Abraham married Sarah. Sarah was this beautiful woman. I mean, two times kings wanted to marry her because Abraham said she's my sister. Now, Abraham really didn't lie because if you look at the background of what the Bible says about Abraham and Sarah, uh, they were actually related. However, when, when one of the kings went to take her as, wife, as a wife, God gave that king a warning in the middle of the night and said, don't touch this woman. And God said to the king, I have prevented you from sinning with this woman. See, if he would have, have taken Sarah and went in unto her and had a, a child, it would have been horrible because it would have thrown the plan of God off completely. So what happened is God hedged Sarah in to. Where in Genesis does it say God hedged her? <sighs> and so here's the idea. You'll note what happened. We started with a dubious, sketchy word study and then found a word in the English that said hedge, but is, wasn't the actual Hebrew based on the Hebrew word uh, souk, but was actually gadar. Yeah, weird there. And then, you know, he builds his theology off of this, pays no attention to the context of what's going on in Lamentation, his big proof text. And then once he discovers his... Uh, his doctrine using speculation, he then reads it back into other places in the Bible. Oh, man, I, this painful, absolutely painful. None of what you heard from, uh, from Perry Stone is an actual biblical doctrine. He's trying to make him look smart or clever, and he's... Yeah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Clearly, his production schedule... Uh, of producing uh, episodes of Perry Stone's 
program manifest has uh, caused him to sacrifice real study of the Word of God, which results in actually teaching what God's Word says and reveals. Wow, that was absolutely painful. All right, we're going to head back to the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. Let's do this. Hallelujah. Get up right now. So that's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. We're going back in time, and we're going to be listening to Kenneth Hagen. That's right, the uh, man who is almost single-handedly responsible for foisting onto the Christian church such false teachers as Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the name of the uh, the message is titled, All Things Are Possible, and... Uh, Let's listen in as uh, Kenneth Hagin tries to uh, teach us something from the Word of God, but uh, this man was probably demonized is the best way I can describe it. Here we go. Notice, however, in both cases, whether you're healed by anointing, uh, being ministered through another unto you, or... He's talking about healing. Healed by anointing. By just believing the Word. Or healed by just believing... God alone. Notice in both cases, both instances, we saw it here, that faith's involved. Notice that. Yeah. Here, Paul perceived that this man had faith to be healed. Right. Now notice, the woman of the issue of blood said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And she came in the press behind and touched his garment, the scripture said. We just got through reading And it said immediately Jesus knew within himself that power had gone out of him. And yet in the 34th verse he says, daughter, your faith made you whole. Well, you see, the secret is... Oh, there's a secret. Oh, okay. So the secret to all things being possible. What's the secret, Hagen? Heard of Jesus. Now, what did she hear? Well, somebody told her evidently this man's anointed by the Holy Ghost. He says he is. Because we read from the fourth chapter of Luke that Jesus in his hometown, synagogue, in Nazareth, uh, the book was delivered unto him, book of Isaiah, and he found So Jesus was a Pentecostal. He was anointed by the Holy Ghost. Got it. The place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so on. And one thing he anointed with was to heal. So Jesus had a healing anointing. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus read that in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. 
The Lord said to me in that first vision when he appeared to me first in 1950. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> slow, slow down there, Tex. Okay. <laughs> Boy, that happened really quick. Without even a, a blush or a blink of an eye. It just So one moment he's talking about Jesus saying that he's anointed. And then next thing you know, Kenneth Hagin is saying, that first time the Lord appeared to me in a vision in 1950. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to note that by doing what he did, the way he did what he did, he's trying to create the impression that, um, you know, he and Jesus are pretty much on kind of like an equal plane. Yeah, uh, Kenneth Hagin here is claiming to be a little Christos. Uh, that would be anointed one. Yeah, he's a f- pseudo-Christos, a false Christ. We continue. It's September the 2nd. He said to me, uh, I didn't just read that, take that text from Isaiah and preach that in the synagogue at Nazareth. That was always the first one I preached everywhere I went. Ah, I see. So the Lord himself just kind of chumming it with uh, <laughs> Kenneth Hagin. I mean, they, they, they were sitting there. You know, you know, out in the, you know, out out in the wilderness. You know, in in September of 1950, and uh, and Kenneth Hagen was enjoying a Schlitz, yeah, a Schlitz, yeah, or a Bush, uh huh. And and he and the Lord were just kicking it together, enjoying a Schlitz. And uh, the Lord said, you know, you know, hey, you know, uh, uh, Kenneth, uh, you know, whenever I, you know, whenever I'd go into a town, I, that, that that wasn't the one. I didn't just one time. Teach that text, you know, say the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. No, 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 no. I, I, everywhere I went, every synagogue, that was like my standard stump speech. Oh, yeah, that's just great. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You see, because they couldn't believe he was anointed unless he preached it and gave Scripture to show it. Right, just like Kenneth Hagin. Amen. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure the Lord wasn't speaking to you. So, you see, the healing is accomplished by the same power, but by a different method. However, faith, faith is necessary in both cases. I want you to... Faith is necessary in both cases, right, yeah. Now then, in talking about, uh, you'll notice this, the healing of the woman of the issue of blood. Jesus said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. I said we was coming back there, so you can turn back there now. But now notice that the scripture said Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. Then he said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. So here we have the emphasis put on these two words, power and faith. Now let's talk about the power for a little bit here. So the emphasis is on the word power. How do you figure, I, I, I'm just curious how you decided that the emphasis was on the word power and the word faith. Uh, notice the fourth chapter of Luke. We read it, but we'll read it again here and sort of catch folks who were not with us up to the, the ground that we've covered before we go further. Notice in the fourth chapter of Luke that the word says in the 14th verse, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So then when he said he knew immediately in himself that power had gone out of him. Yeah, now this is total twisting. Taking stuff out of context and weaving it into your own man-made doctrine to make it look like this is what the Scripture teaches. And, of course, he's thrown into the mix, oh, he had direct revelation from God back in that 
September 1950, first time the Lord appeared to him, vision thingy. Uh-huh, right. Is spirit power, isn't it? The power of the spirit. He returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region around about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up far to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias, or that is Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now notice, because he's anointed me. Now then, notice in connection with... You're going to note here that that text from Isaiah... <laughs> yeah, uh, they they kind of get what's going on there because that's a prophecy regarding the Messiah. Yeah, Ha-Mashiach, the Messiah. And uh, you're making it sound like Jesus is just like, you know, kind of any ordinary fellow who's anointed by the Holy Ghost, like you are, apparently. Spirit, then these three words used, power... Spirit anointing. Power, spirit anointing. Or say it the other way. Anointing, spirit, power. Then uh, then power and spirit are, uh, and, and anointing are all uh, synonymous terms. The spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. Hallelujah. To preach, and if you read a little further, it says to heal. So then there is a healing anointing. No. <laughs> and uh, it's very fascinating that, you know, what he's doing here. Because, again, the Hebrew word for anoint is Mashiach. Huh? The Messiah, right? And see, Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. The text he's reading from Isaiah saying that is fulfilled in their hearing is a prophecy regarding the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for. And Messiah means anointing. The word Christ, Christos, it means anointed, right? So, wow. I mean, this is unbelievable. What, What Kenneth Hagin is literally doing here is making it sound like Jesus was talking about some generic healing anointing rather than him being the anointed one, the Messiah. Amen. Now, you're right there at the fourth chapter of Luke. You could turn over to the to the sixth chapter of Luke. I feel like we're doing biblical gymnastics here. And the word says, begin with the 17th verse, these are verses that we looked at. Like I said, we're going to catch how many were not with us last week. Well, see, half the crowd. We'll catch you up to us here. And he, this is 17th verse, and he, that's Jesus, came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, before we go further, let, let's stop. Right, because he happens to be the Messiah. Except the question. God in human flesh. They came for two purposes, not just one. They didn't just come to be healed. They came to hear him and to be healed. Did you notice that? They came to hear him and to be healed. Well, now, wonder what they heard. Oh, I don't know. It's not like the Gospels don't tell us anything that Jesus taught. 
Well, now, what did people hear there in, 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 uh, in Nazareth? He, took his te- he had to take his text from the Old Testament. And the New Testament wasn't in print. Well, I'm sure they heard the same thing that they heard here. Uh-huh. Did you notice that, like, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, Jesus just kind of spun out his own sermon, and it happened to become Scripture because, you know, he is God in human flesh. And then you think about the times when Jesus is preaching to the crowd, and, yeah, he doesn't preach from Isaiah. Nope, nope, nope. What does he do? He teaches in parables. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just kind of fascinating. So notice what he's doing here. He's reading back into the text what he claimed he received via direct revelation from God in almost the identical same way that we just heard Perry Stone do. Yeah. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. Amen. Hallelujah. No, I can't say amen to that or hallelujah to it because that's just plain out Bible twisting and straight up, straight up deception. Wow. All right, we're up on our uh, second break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter or my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Jurgen Mathesius of C3 San Diego on the... Um, Maligner malady. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Down, click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. check you got to have an open bible you need to double check to make sure you're not having the wool pulled over your eyes let's do this right though (laughs) 
Good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are a brave, courageous sermon reviewing service. Despite the danger to my mental health, <laughs> we review it all. We're heading down to um, C3 Church, San Diego. I was just there. Did I mention that I had uh, a double-double animal style? Oh, it was so good. But uh, I didn't visit C3, but I was in San Diego. The uh, <clears throat> sermon that we'll be listening to is titled, The Maligner Malady. I'm so bummed I didn't stick around to see this thing in person. But uh, vision casting leader presenting this hot mess of nonsense is uh, Jurgen Mathesius, C3 Church, San Diego. Hope you're sitting down. Please assume the crash position. Having an open Bible and saying some prayers may help at this time. <laughs> Let me back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's the maligner malady. Here we go. You know, uh, when I first kind of got my mother-in-law uh, to be open to the Holy Spirit, she kind of went to a theological seminary that taught against yeah, keep in mind here, this is the uh, same theology we heard from Kenneth Hagin and others today. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. False pneumatology seems to be uh, the common source of the bad theology and Bible twisting that has become so commonplace nowadays in so much of evangelicalism. Uh, the things of the Spirit. And so we'd often have these debates. And anyway, she came along to, to our church, left kind of the traditional Church of England, and she says, I don't know why you always have to be shouting. I don't know why church has to be that loud, as though church is meant to be a somber, quiet, you know, is it the church, is it the library? All right, so can you come up with a biblical passage that teaches us that we need to be shouting in church? I'd like to see that text. A sign in our library when I was in public school, shh, Jiminy Cricket says, shh. And, uh, and that, you know, and, but can I tell you, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, he returns with the shout of an, then the Bible says in the book. Yeah, that it's, it, that's what it says about <laughs> what happens when Jesus returns. It's not talking about what we need to be doing in church. Revelation, I heard a loud voice in heaven. The walls of Jericho came down with a shout. Yes, this is most certainly true. And the, uh, by the way, the story of Jericho is type and shadow of the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It is. So, uh, okay, so Jürgen here has taken these passages out of context to say, therefore, ergo, we must be shouting in church. Yeah, so the sermon's already begun with twisting of Scripture. Yeah, it's not looking good here. Down with the shout. I didn't always have a shout. You didn't always have a shout? Is, is a shout something that you possess as is a thing? I didn't always have a shout. Yeah. I remember, gosh, probably 20-something. Notice the sappy music in the background, too. 
I, I'm surprised we don't have a quivering lip going on. You know, <laughs> you know, I didn't always have a shout, but now I do. I have one. God gave me a shout. Years ago in my life, I didn't have a shout yeah. and God had to show me something. God directly showed you how to have a shout. And it was this, it was that if I got a ledger yeah. and I'd put a line down the middle and then I wrote all the things that were kind of wrong with my life, all the things that kind of suck right now in my life, I could have filled the whole the whole ledger. And if, if I wrote on the other side just the things that were going well, two, probably uh, yeah, three, but this side was really big and then this side was kind of really small. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you know why you don't have a shout? And I said, no. He says, well, in Joshua. So the Holy Spirit literally asked you the question, do you know why you don't have a shout? And you said, no. It seems like a weird thing for God, the Holy Spirit, to be asking you about. Because nowhere in Scripture are we told that because the children of Israel, you know, walls of Jericho, shout thingy, therefore we need to have a shout too. So uh, already this is weird. This is really just sketchy, really sketchy. Chapter 6, I think it's around verse 5, he said, I said to Joshua, shout, for I've given you the city. And he said, there's a lot of Christians that don't have a shout because they don't know what God has given them. Oh, yeah. See, if you know what God's given you, then God is going to give you a shout too. Yeah. (laughs) There's a word that's coming to my mind. It's not a kind word. But the word is imbecilic. Mm-hmm. Just saying. They don't have a shout because they don't know what God has given them. Now, the walls were still there. The problem was still there. But because Joshua knew what God had given him, he was able to shout. And when he shouted, the walls that were there came crumbling down. So literally about maybe 22 years ago, I just made a lifestyle adjustment that I was going to stand on the promises of God and I was going to... Sh- and if I was honest with you, my ledger, I've got all of these things for me and I'm scratching now to try and find what else is against me. What's... Uh, well, I guess I should just put Lucy's name in there and that's like a given. And then it's hard to fill because the shout of faith brings down the walls of Jericho. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, when the Philistines heard... The Israelites shout, the Bible says this, that the Philistines shook with fear. Do you know what that's from? Do do you know what that's from? (laughs) Oh, this guy is such a charlatan. Okay, that particular story is from 1 Samuel. If you are familiar with the opening chapters of 1 Samuel, there is the story of how... Uh, the Israelites lost a battle. And the reason they lost the battle was because God was judging Eli and his lousy, good-for-nothing sons. And um, and so literally what happened is, is that God prophesied through Samuel, who was a young boy at the time, and... <laughs> And uh, and prophesied that God was going to judge them and that Eli's sons would die on the same day. Uh-huh. And so he, oh man, it so this is the story. Let me let me let me find this here. Here it is. Uh first Samuel chapter four. First Samuel chapter four. And um 
For the context, we'll, we'll start at uh, verse 1. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel, verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. And the Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the, uh, came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has Yahweh defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh, brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh of, of hosts, Yahweh Savaoth, who is enthroned in, on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a, listen, mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of Yahweh had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage, Oh, be men, O oh Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Now, you'd think you'd just end right there, and, and the next text should say, Thus perished the Philistines, right? Because of this great shout. That's how uh, Jurgen is using this text, but that's not what happened. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. Yep. <laughs> That's right. And they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Yep. That, that's what the text says. Now, I know some of you are listening to this going, that, that, that can't be what's happening. You, you, you must be misreading it. No, I'm not. Look it up for yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. It's right there in your Bible. And so what Jurgen is doing here <laughs> it shows he is literally parading his biblical ignorance before all the world to see. This is Jurgen Matthias, the emperor, having no clothes on. He's stark naked, and everybody there at C3 San Diego is sitting there going, oh, look at what Jurgen is wearing. It's the most brilliant thing ever. Oh, wow, I've never seen such regal clothes. And I'm sitting there going, he's naked. He's not wearing a thing. Wake up, people. Open up your Bible. Because after hearing the shout, they shook with fib, and they said to one another, God is in their midst. The enemy shakes with fear when you have a shout. <laughs> this is insane. This is, the church has taken crazy pills. And the way that he interprets a shout is you found God. God has found you. God is in your midst. Muted Christians, easy picking for the devil. Chris <laughs> yeah, a lot of help that shouting did in... Uh <laughs> 
on in First Samuel chapter 4. Israel was defeated. The Philistines captured the ark. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, dead. Yeah, a lot of good that shouting did. With a shout, you better believe walls come down. So come on, can we one more time? One more time. One more time. Come on, let's give God a great shout. Come on, let's shout with a voice of triumph. This is the shout of defeat, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. The shout of defeat is what you are hearing at this very moment. How do I know? Because <laughs> Jurgen Matthias just totally filled their heads with utter nonsense, twisted God's word, and now they're all shouting, thinking, oh, this is what God wants us to do. We're shouting, this is what we're telling the devil, man. We're, we're shouting. I got a shout from God. This is nonsense. The Lord, oh my soul, all that is in me, we bless you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. Oh! 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 Hallelujah. Lift your hands, lift your hands. Father, I thank you tonight for breakthroughs. I thank you for walls coming down. I thank you for addictions being broken. Yeah, you've just demonstrated you got no power for any of that stuff. You are a total wolf. You're not even wearing sheep's clothing. You're just parading around in your wolf suit. Brains being shattered. The night that Jurgen wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another. Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak to sickness and I speak to disease. And I declare you may have walked in in these bodies. You're speaking to sickness and disease, really? You think they're listening? I don't think so. But I declare right now there is a greater power than the spirit of infirmity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is. Because you just shouted. I'm sure, yeah. There's a greater power than any terminal illness in this building. And I release right now the great heat. Oh, he's releasing. I, did you see? He's releasing. Wow. I mean, yeah, these people are saved. Yeah. Power of the power of the Holy Spirit, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good. So and he- he's, he's doing the same he- Kenneth Hagin thing he noticed there, that uh, Kenneth Hagin's theology regarding the anointing. <laughs> yeah, Jürgen Mathesius here is uh, bought into it as well. It's a false teaching. Uh-huh. That's why I did that segment before the sermon. Just saying, every episode of Fighting for the Faith, we usually get all the horses pulling together. Just saying. All who were oppressed by the devil, Father, we release a spirit of healing in this place. And I dismiss sickness. I dismiss disease over your saints, over your sons and daughters tonight. Let freedom reign in people's lives. Let freedom reign in people's minds. Let freedom reign in people's bodies tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on. Give God one more great clap offering. Come on. Hallelujah. Give someone a high five and tell them I'm so glad to be sitting by you. Would you thank the musicians and the singers? Come on. How many people thought the praise and worship was off the chain? Man, I walked in and uh, I just got to say how fantastic it is to see all the My City Youth and Society Young Adults down the front. and. I love, I love our youth. Just, just understand that we need to be a youth and kids church. 
The, the greatest way to put a death sentence over the future of your church is don't reach youth and kids today. So many churches struggling, struggling, because they, 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 for whatever reason, got more in tune with their preferences than reaching the new generation. Had the privilege of... Uh, Speaking for the beautiful Coles on Friday night, Michael and Michelle. Can you guys stand up? These are the people that lead our prime 50 plus ministry. Michelle's 49, but we let her in and uh, <laughs> we love these guys. And, and I was just kind of sharing with, uh, with the guys on Friday night that, you know, really church shouldn't be just the, 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 one, the one meal you have all week. A lot of people try and put church in the golden corral category that we just have one big buffet lunch on a Sunday and then that'll do us till next Sunday. Pastor, I'm leaving. I'm just not getting fed no more. How long have you been a Christian? 35 years. You didn't learn to feed yourself in all that time. You're, you're still a little baby. Do yeah, need- yeah. Don't go to church expecting Yerk and Mathesius to, to feed you, man. That ain't, that ain't going to happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's got more important things to do than exegete God's word and properly teach and feed God's sheep with the word of God. But that's what a pastor does. Yeah. Weird. Notice he's not actually preaching a text. And boy, uh, the one thing we have learned about them already is that they're all about personal preferences for the most immature among us. Your diapers changed? <laughs> there is a stench coming from you. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, anybody who wants to be fed God's word and is complaining that they're starving because it's not being taught at their church, they're just a big fat baby with a poopy diaper. Uh-huh. Maturity is that you, you ought to be able to feed yourself. Now, let me tell you, I absolutely want to light you up on a Sunday. Light them up. Your job, the job of a pastor is to preach the word. Thus far, you are not doing that. But man, I, you know, I can eat the best restaurant, uh, eating the best restaurant. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna be eating the next day again, and the next day, and the next day. So I was trying to tell out, you know, like even now, like I try not to be my age, um, but I am 50, so I qualify for prime. And uh, and I listen to a lot of the music. I'm like, wow. I remember when we had. Um, Gosh, what was the name of that band that came? And I'm like, wow, this is music. And uh, what was it? Family Force 5. And we had like this concert. And, and, and I love them. And then I'm like, halfway through, I'm realizing, yeah, I'm old. I am old. All the young people are, you know, doing this. And, and I'm like, I don't even know. Are they trying to tell them to sit down? What is that? And, and I've got no idea what's going on. It's not my music preference. But you know what I realized? I realized that the price of me reaching the new generation is I can't elevate my preference or make an idol of my preference and my musical style. Yeah, you're going to note here that this argument really falls flat nowadays considering that so much of the youthful musical style is filled with absolute cesspool doctrinal content. You know, false doctrine, if any doctrine at all. It's, yeah, uh uh-huh. Because I can play my musical style in my home. I mean, God bless Apple. Apple. Yeah, there's a reason why I prefer hymns, and it has nothing to do with my musical tastes. It has everything to do with the fact that good hymns put to music the great doctrines of the Christian faith. 
And I can tell you, as a pastor, it, it's, I always use the music, use the hymns, to help reinforce the message of the sermon that I am preaching on any given Sunday as I'm working through these large swaths of Scripture. So that I can have a playlist on my phone, I can have all my favorites. In fact... Monday to Saturday, I can have How Great Thou Art. I can, I can have all, which isn't my style anyway. I was just being naughty. But I can have all my, I can have all my favorites Monday to Saturday. But Sunday, Sunday, it's a day of worship and it's not about me. It's about reaching the next generation. It's about this altar being packed with people. And so on a Sunday, let's not make it about our preferences. Amen. So uh, I don't even know why I said that. But anyway, it's so good to be here. I heard the pastor Becky Lynn Heinrichs toy it up this morning. I just love Pastor John and Becky. They are just amazing people. Pastor John had my beautiful daughter babysitting on Friday night. And uh, 10 minutes into this thing. Um, what's the text you're preaching on again, Jurgen? It's, uh, that's always a, a great delight. My Leanne is in Australia. In fact, she's on a plane right now with Pastor Brianna and Pastor Audrey Churchward on their way back from uh, Sydney, Australia. They went down to a women's conference down there, so they're on their way back. So I've got less than 24 hours to clean up the house. <laughs> Beautiful Lauren Koppenbarger, who's my assistant, took uh, Zoe home after church this morning. There was maybe an hour and a half in between her getting home and me getting home from preaching at South Campus. And in 90 minutes, it's amazing. It's amazing what kind of damage my daughter can. I come home, there's glitter on the table, glitter all over the floor. There's stuff stuck to the floor. There's paper everywhere. There's the doors open, flies running around the house. And I'm like, oh, if my wife came home right now, I would be in so much dog doo-doo. I would be in so much trouble. And so... Literally, uh, I'm going to put the little rascals to bed tonight and then I'm going to start cleaning. For some reason, when I come home, if, if Leanne comes home and there's a clean house, romance flows. Hey, now, now, I'm just helping somebody right now. Listen to me. Listen to me. I was stupid enough to believe that it doesn't matter the state of the house if there's flowers, if there's a nice card. She looks right past the flowers and goes, wow, you didn't do any cleaning up, did you? She's going to check. She's going to check the, the, the dirty clothes basket. Wow, you did not do one, one lot of washing while I was away, did you? So tonight, the washing is going to happen. The floors are going to be clean. I don't know why you're laughing. This is pressure. I feel pressure. I'm like, ah, when, when I get home, ah, like this. Ah, ah. Like this. And she's a taskmaster. She walks in like this. No, she doesn't. I'm just being naughty. Anyway, I've got to get into my message. I'm naughty. Oh my gosh, 20 minutes left. Ah! Welcome all the people watching online. Forgive my frivolity. All right, come with me in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Oh, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 2, the title of my message tonight. How many people know we're starting a new series? The new series is called Truth Wars. Truth Wars. Looks like Star Wars, but it's Truth Wars. Uh, well, um... <laughs> We can definitively say that you've already lost it. <laughs> if you're going to be engaging in the truth war, uh, you're fighting for the other side. <laughs> that's just the reality here, um, and that's objectively demonstrable from what we've already reviewed in this sermon. Wow. Have a look at this. I want to I um, kind of peel back the layers a little bit and then hopefully just take maybe five minutes on that, and then I've got three great 
points. Uh, the title of my message tonight is the malignant, uh, sorry, the mal- maligner malady. I had to think there. The maligner malady. Someone who maligns is someone who slanders. Someone who says nasty things. And a malady is a condition. Is a condition. So tonight I want to peel back the layer a little bit and kind of give you a, a look. This will help you understand the world. Now, real quick, slander is a real sin. It is a real problem. Yeah, uh-huh. It truly is. And there are people out there who sin by slandering and lying about people and just saying all kinds of crazy nonsense about them. Know all about it. Um, so this is a real problem. And the question that I have before we even get into the teaching portion of this sermon for Jurgen is going to be something along these lines. Are you going to address the sin of lying, of slandering other people, of bearing false witness? Yeah, in fact, bearing false witness is one of the things we are commanded in the Ten Commandments to not do. So in that being the case, will he address the fact that people are slanderers, that they are liars, that they are gossips, and call them to repentance to acknowledge that their behavior is sinful, that it comes up because of their sinful flesh? We just read out earlier in the uh, episode from Galatians 5 that slander is one of those sins of the flesh. And then, well, he placard a crucified and risen Jesus, God in human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, who for our sins and for our salvation suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, bled and died for the sin of slander, and called them to repent and to be forgiven and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Slander is a real problem. It really is. Somehow I'm just not confident that this is what he's going to do. We'll see, though. Not only will it help you understand the world, but it'll help you understand what's going on behind the scenes. The the Bible says that God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible also teaches that there are such things as evil spirits. There really is a devil. He is a, he is a, a, a spiritual being. Yes, this is true. Notice how this portion of the sermon seems to tie in with the <clears throat> the first segment, uh, the Sid Roth segment with uh, with uh, Duena. You know, <laughs> you know, uh-huh, okay. And these spirits work behind the scenes. God is working. Angels are working. But at the same time, the devil and demons are, are working. So I want to just kind of peel that back. So really quickly, let's read these scriptures. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, speaking of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor or the brightness of his coming. But the coming of the lawless one is in according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. Uh Yeah, sounds a lot like today's uh, Pentecostal charismatic movements. All right, let's take a look at this text real quick because this is an important one. This is one of the major clear prophecies regarding the state of affairs in the church and the world immediately before the return of Christ. Yep, it does. 
Second Thessalonians 2.1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, Greek word here apostasia, the apostasy, the great apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, which is the church, by the way proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is uh, is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now, the coming of the lawless one. This is, uh, you know, this is the character that many refer to as the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. Mm-hmm. Just think about what. Turn on TBN. False signs, false wonders, right? Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, Now, that's the first 11 verses of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see the context. This is specifically talking about the apostasy, the man of lawlessness, his appearing and coming, and the growth in lawlessness and the activity of false signs and false wonders in the church immediately before the return of Christ. Let's see what Jürgen is going to do with this. All unrighteous deception among those who perish. Watch this. This is why they perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. One of the things that you should receive sitting in the house of God is a love for the truth. Can I just say this? Now, I agree. And unfortunately, we haven't heard the truth from Jürgen. Wherever you go, whatever you do, if you have a love for the truth, if you are a truth seeker, you will find God. You will find God. In fact, you can't divorce God from truth because the Bible says that God is truth. That's right. And the, the, Jesus himself said that the devil is a liar, has been a liar from the beginning, a liar and a murderer, and that when he lies, he speaks his native language. It says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus in John fourteen six said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, all these people said that they had some truth or they could point you to the truth. But only Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm not going to point you to, or I don't have. He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so God is a God of truth. The Bible says that it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. God does not lie. Everything God says is truth. And so you find that all truth is, truth is like rivers that lead you to the ocean, that lead you to God. So, so these people reject a love for the truth. 
And so they are easily deceived. It says, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The irony is so thick here, you could cut it with a knife. All right, so, so now I've got that out of the way. Now, really, really quickly, I want to I dig into the scripture. This is going to get a little bit heavy for about the next five minutes. But I need five whole minutes of heavy. That, that's it? Just five minutes of heavy in a sermon. Okay. I need to go there tonight just because I want, your, I want your faith and I want your strength to not be on the pastor's words. I don't want you to say, well, you know, I believe this because my pastor says it. That's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing. What I'm trying to say is I know that, that I succeed, I win, if I can get you to stand on what the Word says. If I can get you to build your life on the Word. So Genesis 1 is, is awesome. It's an introduction to God. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, formless void, darkness. Let there be light. There is light. Let dry land appear. Dry land appears. Sky, firmament, heavens, oceans. Oceans filled with, with whales and dolphins and little penguins and, you know, all kinds of things. And then the sky filled with birds and the, the, the ground, all kinds of animals and giraffes and zebras and armadillos and aardvarks and, you know, butterflies and all kinds of awesome things. And then God creates man in his image and in his likeness and he blesses them. That's Genesis 1. Genesis 2 goes a little deeper. It shows us how God made man. He formed him from the dust of the earth and breathes into Adam the breath of life. Adam comes alive and all the animals come to Adam to see what Adam would call them because he had dominion over them. And But for Adam, there wasn't a helper found for him. So God puts him asleep, pulls out a rib, makes a woman. First thing Adam does is prophesies, hubba bubba, ding, ding, check the legs out on this cute thing. And something like that. I can't remember what it is. I can't get that scripture exactly right. But uh, something along those lines. And and so there's Adam and Eve. That's Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3 is about the devil. You know, kind of possesses a serpent and whispers to Adam and Eve, you know, has God really said, you, you know, you can't eat off all the trees? She said, well, we can eat off all the trees except that one. We can't eat off that one. The day we eat off that one, we'll die. Pfft, you will not surely die, says the devil. The day that you eat off that tree, you'll be like God. And so it's the fall of man is Genesis 3. Genesis 4 is the first murder in the Bible. Adam and Eve have two sons. Many believe they're twins, Cain and Abel. Cain was born first. Abel was the second born. And they bring an offering to the Lord and God accepts Abel's offering. Offering, but Cain just kind of brings over some, just brings some leftovers. Says, God, here you go. I got these. Leftovers. They were going to go rotten. I thought I might as well give them to you. And God's like, Yeah, it's, you're going to have to go home and rethink your life. And- yeah, that's not an accurate depiction of what happened in Genesis 4. No. In fact, um, Hebrews 11 helps us understand what's going on in Genesis 4. Cain didn't have faith. Uh, and so he gets ticked. And so rather than going home and rethinking his life, he just lures his younger brother out in the field and strikes him and kills him. And so there's murder in chapter four. Then chapter five, kind of everything's a bit of an anticlimax. Chapter five is just a genealogy. A genealogy is just, you know. Just a genealogy. It's an important genealogy. And there you begin to see the difference between the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Adam through Seth. Adam begot Seth, Seth begot Enosh, Enosh begot Canaan, Canaan begot Jared, Jared begot, and it just kind of goes through this begot. It's just 10, ten generations, a whole... Yeah, read the uh, opening portions of Matthew and Luke. You'll recognize some of those names. Uh-huh. 
The chapter five is just you're like boring. And then you go to chapter six and chapter six is awesome again. It's about God's judgment. It's about the flood and, you know, Noah's ark. And he's got to, you know, get all these animals onto this boat. You said you were going to be deep for five minutes. When does that five minutes start? Because it clearly hasn't begun yet. You've got to build this crazy boat and save mankind. And, you know, the planet is, is under deluge. And it's just, you know, so, and so, so it looks like chapter five can be boring. But can I show you something tonight that chapter five isn't boring? So if we can do it in reverse, if we can go to chapter five first, let me just show you that uh, your Bible is so powerful. I want to show you a a contrast tonight. So in in chapter five, you'll find that uh, it begins with Adam. If we can put Adam up, Adam's name literally means man. Adam means man. Adam has a son after, now you need to understand, Eve lost two boys in one day. I know that Cain murdered Abel. And you can say, well, she just lost one, but she didn't. She also lost, she also lost Cain because Cain was banished from the land because of his murder. So in the same day that one son is murdered, the other one is like literally taken off to an equivalent of, you know, going to be incarcerated. So she loses two boys in one day. The Bible says that Adam knew his wife again after many years and she conceives and she brings forth Seth. Seth means appointed. So Seth means appointed. Seth has a son. His name is Enosh, which means mortal. Enosh has a son. His name is Canaan, which means sorrow. Canaan has a son called Methusael. Methusael literally means the great God. He has a son called Jared. Jared's name means shall come down or descend. Jared has a son called Enoch. Enoch is the seventh from Adam. Enoch literally means teaching or dedicated to teaching. Enoch has a son called Methuselah. Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. Now let me just tell you what's crazy. Enoch was the one who prophesied the flood. Enoch prophesied the flood. Enoch had a vision and he saw two judgments. The first judgment was the whole earth would be judged with water. The second one is fire. The second one, the fire judgment is when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back and splits the sky, everything on the earth will be consumed by fire. Everything. You, me, the buildings, everything will be consumed by fire. But you don't need to worry because the only thing that's consumed is this fleshly body. Your spirit is eternal. You will instantly meet the Lord in the air because everything's burned up on the ground where you have a new body. You have your heavenly body and we'll meet the Lord in the air and we'll be with the Lord forever for all eternity. But that's the second judgment. The first judgment was water. Now watch this. Enoch names his son Methuselah. Methuselah, many of you know, is the oldest man in the Bible. Did you know that? He's the oldest man in the Bible. But literally his name means his death shall bring. Literally... When Noah got into ark, into the ark, there was a seven-day period, seven days. And on the seventh day, Methuselah died. And when Methuselah died, the heavens broke open and the rain came down. His death shall bring. So the rain came down, Methuselah. Methuselah has a son. His name is Lamech. Lamech is Noah's daddy. Lamech literally means the despairing, the despairing. Because, you know, Enoch's looking ahead and Methuselah's looking ahead knowing that there's going to be despair and flood and judgment and everything else. And then Lamech has a son called Noah. And Noah's name literally means comfort and hope. Now, that's 10 generations. It's about 1,200 years. 
I was uh, witnessing to my son Ash when he played baseball, witnessing to his uh, baseball coach because he was Jewish. And I said to him, I said, oh, you, you know, you've seen the, uh, you've seen Genesis 5. He's like, of course I've seen Genesis 5. I said, well, you know, you speak Hebrew. He goes, yeah, of course. I said, well, you know all the meanings of the names. He goes, of course I do. I said, well, have you ever put them together? He goes, no, I've never put them together. I said, how often do you read the Torah? He goes, every week. I said, well, you read it every week. He goes, yeah, since I was a kid. I said, have you never put Genesis 5 together? No. I said, okay. I said, so I'm going to put it together for you. So if we put all 10 generations together, because 10 is like the 10 commandments, it's a perfect sentence. So if we put all 10 generations together, this is what it says. It says, man appointed mortal sorrow. The great God shall come down or descend teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and hope. I said to him, now, I know you don't believe in Jesus. I said, but when you look at that, that's in your Bible in Genesis chapter 5, which figure in human history most closely resembles, most closely resembles, which figure in human history, 10 generations, man. All right, so I did my own research on this and could not come up with uh, what he's saying. I don't know what website he got it from, but this is a pious error. Okay. So I got the uh, the names here. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Man, Adam it means man. Seth, appointed. Enosh, human being. Kenan, possession. Mahalalel, praise of God. Jared, descent. Enoch, dedicated, Methuselah, man of dart, man of a dart, yeah, yeah. Lamech, to make low, Noah, comfort, rest, put it all together, man appointed, human being, possession, praise of God, descent, dedicated, man of dart, to make low, comfort, rest. And I checked several different Hebrew sources on this. So what he's saying, yeah, as pious as it sounds... You know, if you know your Hebrew and you have some good scholarly resources, you can't make this into what he's making it. I mean, and that's the scary thing here, is that these people are going, oh, this is the best thing ever. This is like a code that was cracked and it was sitting there in front of us all along. Oh, wow, this is the best. This proves that Jesus is the Messiah. But if you really, truly know Hebrew and you got good scholarly sources, you can't make this say what he's saying. And somebody who begins to do in-depth study of God's Word and maybe studies the original languages goes, oh, wait, no, that's not right. So what they thought was like a, you know, a, like a slam dunk proof that Jesus is the Messiah now blows up in their face, and their faith might even blow up in their own face as well. Mortal sorrow, the great God shall come down teaching. They called him teacher. Teacher, do you not care that we're drowning? Teacher, rabbi, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Teacher, rabbi, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Moses says, what do you say? Teacher, sayest thou nothing? They called him teacher. This great God shall come down teaching, but his death shall bring the despairing comfort and hope. So we see that that's Jesus. Now that's Genesis chapter 5. But... Cain wasn't, wasn't killed, he wasn't incarcerated, he was just sent away as a vagabond. And Cain also has a, a lineage, he also has generations. So this is chapter 5, but if you go to, to Genesis chapter 4, if you go to Genesis chapter 4, you find that, that Cain has a line. 
So if we can put Cain's line up, Cain's name literally means, uh, Cain means appointed spear. His very, very first son is, is named Enoch. And the very first city he builds is named Enoch. Enoch means what? Dedicated to teaching or teaching. It's very interesting. Here, here is Cain who never takes responsibility. God comes to him and says, Where, where's Abel, your brother? What, am I my brother's keeper? He's like, well, you actually meant to be. What have you done? I hear your brother's blood screaming for justice from the ground. So he's sent away, but he's sent away, never repents, never gets his life right. He walks away with a grudge against God. So the first baby he has, he names him teaching. In the first city he builds, he names it teaching. What is he teaching? I'm glad you asked. Because Enoch has a son, his name is Irad. Irad means rebellion. Irad has a son, his name is Mahujael. You're going to see some similarities in the names. There's a very, very slight twist. Mahujael is who proclaims God. He has a son called Methushael. Methushael means demanding his death. Methushael has a son called Lamech to bring the despairing. Lamech has two wives. He has two wives and he has three sons, Jubal, Jabal, and Tubalcane. All three sons, all three sons come from exactly the same Hebrew root, Tebel. Tebel literally means confusion and perversion. If we put those in, in a sentence, if we put an appointed spear dedicated to teaching rebellion, who proclaims God demanding his death, to bring the despairing confusion and perversion. Yeah, I checked that as well. Um, Adam, man, Cain acquired, Enoch dedicated, Erod. That's a tough one, by the way. Read the scholarly sources on this. Uh, they think it's a combination of two words. Uh, so the name, the name Erod is not a normal Hebrew word at all. Uh, ear from city awar to uh, to make blind. So to make blind the city, I don't know. Uh, uh, Mahujael, smitten by God. Uh, Lamech, to make low. Uh, Jabal, a stream. Jubal is also a stream, kind of working on the same thing. Uh, Tubal, Cain, to carry or to bring along or to acquire. Yeah, I'm sorry, but just do the work in the Hebrew and, again, check good scholarly sources. And you realize that uh, what... What Jurgen is doing here is passing along uh, something that's pious sounding, and oh, it sounds so miraculous. But yeah, no, um, that's not actually what these names mean. And if you hang your hat on this thing that he's doing, your faith is being your know, your faith is being built on sand. If you peel back the layers of what is happening in our world today. You look at, at institutions like Harvard. Harvard University was once the bastion for producing men and women of God. It, was, it began, it was founded as a theological seminary. It was founded to raise up men and women that took the virtues and the teachings of Jesus Christ and apply them to society. 
Everywhere where the gospel has gone, it has brought civil to civilization. Everywhere where the gospel has been removed, it has been chaos, it has been disorder, it has been dysfunction. It- yeah, the thing is, is that, Jürgen, your church and your doctrine and your teaching are all about deception and disorder, and that's what they're creating. Rather than true, sound doctrine and faith in Christ, based upon what Scripture says and actually means been rebellion, it has been murder, it, it, it has just been bloodbaths. But everywhere where the gospel has come, so now you're going to find there's these conflicting things because the devil, don't ever think the devil's not into teaching. The devil comes in the first son. The, it was the seventh son of Adam that was named Enoch, teaching. But the first son, the first son that Cain has, he names him teaching. And what does he teach? He teaches rebellion. He teaches, he proclaims God demanding his death. To- Again, Enoch means dedicated the despairing perversion and confusion. The age that we live in today is an age where we're seeing perversion and confusion on an unprecedented scale because the education system have leaned away from God and they've leaned into... Yeah, the weird thing is is that uh, Jürgen here is teaching and he's teaching stuff that's actually not true, which means he's teaching perversion. That's the really sick bizarre irony of all of this this spirit now in the few minutes that i have left oh jesus help me four minutes three points oh gosh so for this for this entire for this entire um series truth wars i'm going to be referring to this because i want everybody to get a hold of it it's it's buried in our in our bible it's so it's right there it's right there the bible says this that that uh it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. God doesn't hide things in the scriptures from us. He hides treasures there for us. One of our great delights with being a parent is hiding eggs on Christ, uh, at Easter. We're hiding candy at Easter. Now, Leanne and I aren't going, I'm going to stick it on there. I'll never find it. Yes. We're not hiding it from them. We're hiding it for them. God has got all kinds of things. He's not hiding it from you. He's hiding it for you. He just wants you to come looking. All right. So so tonight, based on that backdrop, I want to talk to you uh, on the topic of Satan's primary agenda. And his primary agenda is to slander the character of God. He has two two main agendas. The first one is to slander the character of God. And the second one is to make sure that you are slandered in your identity. When God spoke to Jesus, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. First thing the devil says, if you're the son of God. Well, hang on. I, I thought I just heard God say I was his son. No, no. If you have to turn these stones in, if you're the son of God, throw yourself. The first thing Satan attacks is your identity. You know why? Because identity is one side of a coin. <sighs> See, he's engaging in deception while preaching a sermon on the truth wars. Wow. The other side of the coin is destiny. Your identity and your destiny. The devil knows the greatest way to thwart your destiny. This is the exact deception that we're being warned about in 2 Thessalonians 2 that he's engaging in right now. It's Again, the irony is so thick you can cut it with a knife. Destiny is to hide or... Or try and bury your identity. But he knows that if, if you discover your identity, then you'll lose your destiny. 
But tonight, I just want to focus on the the character of God. So, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, he says, has God really said? And Eve said, well, we can eat off all the trees except that one. We can't eat off that one. If we eat off that one, we'll we'll surely die. Says Satan. You won't surely die. How long have you known God? They're like, just a few days. We're only a few days old. He said, well, let me just tell you, I've, I've known God for thousands of years. And let me just tell you something. You can't trust him. He's holding out on you. He knows the day you eat off that tree, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. Right now, you don't know good and evil. All you know is good. You're living in a garden. Everything's perfect. You don't know good. God knows good and evil. Day you eat off that tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. But God doesn't want to do that. You, you can't really trust God. You've got to take matters into your own hands. Be independent. Make decisions for yourself. Don't trust God. How do you know? Notice he is not actually reading the text. Mm-hmm. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. He's not actually giving the, a voice to the word of God. He's got your best interest. He doesn't. Let me just tell you, I know him for thousands of years. And so they, they succumb and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it appears that Satan's lie is actually true. Because the Bible says their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. So they hid. So it looks like their eyes certainly were opened. Except here's the issue. Satan said, the day that you eat off the tree that you're not allowed to eat off, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's what he didn't tell them. God knows good and evil because God is good. God is righteous. God is light. In him there is no darkness. So God knows that that evil is anything that is outside of him. Evil is anything that is the antithesis of him. He is good. What the devil doesn't tell them is if you sin and rebel against God, I will, you will be sentenced on this side. Where you will know good and evil, but you'll know it from a place where evil and you know the good is out of your grasp. Good is out of your reach. Righteousness and perfection. Poverty. I don't, rich and poor. He, the, the, the devil wants you to be, he wants you to know about rich. He wants you to know about blessed from a place where you know what it's like. Your existence is poverty. Your existence is struggle. Your ex- <laughs> yeah, you know that uh, now he's totally um, off-roading here and just making stuff up. Literally just making stuff up now. I mean, What's the point of having a Bible if you're not going to actually preach it and teach it, you know? Existence is lack. Your existence is never having enough. And you look and you think, man, if only, if only, if only. God's will for your life was to be blessed, to be the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath, so that you can, from a place of strength, identify. We're going to do something about those people in Africa. We're going to do something about people struggling in Asia. We're going to do- yeah, notice, uh, he's got a shout here, but I think the shouting is designed to try to make it sound sound like what he's saying is true but nothing he's saying is actually biblical or true at all straight up mythology something about people who are caught up in human trafficking we're going to do something about the homeless we're going to do something about solo parents we're going to do something from a place of strength but the devil deceives them so they know good from evil because they're on the side of evil now and they can only look at good and now it's out of their reach and the devil <laughs> laughs so there are three things, three, three things the devil does right there. The, the first thing, when I came to church, is, this is what, I, what it, my perception from my friends were. When I got saved and started going to church, number one, they thought that God was the old man in the sky. 
the old man in the sky. You see the cartoons and the caricatures and you see God and he's got, got like a white robe and a, and a big white beard and white long hair and he's quite old. Gabriel, have they got electricity down there yet? They do? Oh, and have they invented the wheel? Like as though, as though God is old. He's the old man in the sky. I haven't heard used to, people used to call him the old man in the sky. Can I just tell you, God is not old. You know why God isn't old? Because he lives outside of time. See, you and I have birthdays. Every year we age. Every year we age. God doesn't have birthdays because he lives outside of time. God has not aged one day. He is still incredibly young. He is still incredibly youthful. He has no gray hairs. He has no lines in his forehead, no crow's feet on the side of his face. He is young. He is a young God. He is young and contemporary, but the devil wants to slander God. He wants people to believe that God is the old man in the sky. So that going to church, my friends, when I went to church, literally, they viewed church like visiting grandma in the retirement home. The old man in the sky. Like, you know, God is just not with it. I'm pretty sure when you read the scriptures, Satan's slander against God goes a lot deeper than that. Oh, man, this is so ridiculous. But they do have In-N-Out Burger there in San Diego. You know, I'm just saying. I mean, there are some positive things about San Diego. It's like going to the retirement village, the nursing home, and, you know, and, okay, listen up, everybody. We're going to increase craft time by four hours. My fingers hurt. Yeah. Well, now your back's going to hurt because you just put landscape duty. Anybody else's fingers hurt? Sorry. Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Happy Gilmore. Couldn't help it. <laughs> Stop it. All right. Anyway. And, uh, but true story. True story. You know, you, it's not how you want to spend your weekend. Like when mom and dad says, we're going to visit grandma. You're like, ah, but you don't want grandma to know. You went, ah, you're like, ah, oh, you know. Yeah, notice the uh, the hatred towards elders, those who are older. Mm-hmm. Rather than rebuking them, calling out their sin, and pointing out what scripture teaches regarding the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother and its implications regarding those who are your older elders. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just saying, you know, this, we're not getting any of that. Notice uh, we're not hearing anything about the sin of slander, and apparently the, the big lie that Satan wants to tell is that that God is an old fuddy-duddy. Yeah, that's, like I said, the, the least of the slanders regarding what Satan has told regarding God. It's great to see you again. Here's a quarter. Split it with your four siblings. You can all buy something for each other. And if you got anything left, you know, like grandma's out of touch. She's out of touch with, you know, what things cost and the price of things. And, and you do it because she's old and related and it's the right thing to do. So people have the view of church. The church is old. Yeah, so the way you know it's true is if you go to a church where God's really young and hip and kind of, you know, trendy and stuff. It's the right thing to do. But don't expect for the church to be able to speak to you on topics of finance and marketplace and marriage and sexuality and ministry and life and destiny and purpose. Because the church is, no, 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 the church, God. Life, destiny, purpose, right, yeah. 
all modern-day evangelical false doctrines. The old man in the sky. The very thing that we were warned against in the Second Thessalonians. God is not the old man in the sky. In fact, can I just tell you that the Word of God, the Word of God is more up-to-date than next week's newspapers. This Bible is more relevant than next year's Time magazines. Because the Bible says that God knows the end of a thing from the beginning. God goes to the end and then he backs up and begins what he wanted to, to happen. When you read the book of Revelation, it talks about future events, but God has already written it in a past tense. Because in eternity, it has already happened. You and I are just walking it out. Don't ever believe, don't ever believe for one minute that God's word is not 100% relevant. And anybody that tells you that the word needs to catch up with culture, uh uh uh, leave that church. Get away from that teaching, get away from that ministry. Culture is always shaped by the word of God. The word of God. What are you talking about? Notice he's giving the exact opposite type of advice that you would actually get from Scripture. Everything that he just said is backwards, upside down, inside out. It's like the, the, the complete opposite of what Scripture actually teaches. Where does it say that culture is crafted by the Word of God? Which biblical text says that? It's not shaped by culture. Somebody say amen. They they found their shouts. They're get, they're they're doing the shout thing right now. You know, for Samuel, four, yeah, shout. Number two, number two, second lie, the second misappropriation of God's character is th- this generation has been told that God is God the mother, not God the father. God the mother. Now I'm not trying to be sexist or do anything like that but Jesus does say our father and there's a difference and you need a father and a mother mothers are nurturing when my kids I remember you know that now this is interesting you know he's you know he's correctly identified the false teaching of God as mother but Jurgen Mathesius's wife also is one of the pastors there. Yeah, it, I'm just pointing that out. Her name is Leanne. It's Pastor Leanne Mathesius, although Scripture forbids women from being pastors. So I, I find that this this lie, this slander of the devil that he's going after is ringing a little bit hollow because he's in direct violation of what God's Word says regarding the fact that only women, that only men, sorry, not women, only men can be pastors their bike and you know a little leg like this and we just walk it off but my leg hurts now your arm hurts which one hurts more you know and come on shake it off you know whereas a mama oh my gosh they shouldn't make bikes they're too dangerous come here you poor dear oh where does it hurt does it hurt when i touch hair you know and you know bathing and and we need that we need mamas mamas are like that i still remember getting the phone call from uh, the nurse at Oxford Falls Grammar School in Sydney when uh, Ash and Geordie went to, to school there and uh, Ash had fallen out of a tree and he was in the in the sick bay and they thought he might have broken his arm and it was just sprained or something and he's there in a little sling and he's all happy because they're giving him candy. So I could see his little brain going, if I fall out of here tomorrow, you know, it's like more candy, pain, candy, it's worth it, you know. And uh, so anyway, we get in there. Well, Leanne just flies off the handle. Why were you climbing the tree? Because all my friends were. She goes, oh, oh. And if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it? And I can see him looking, thinking, depends what kind of bridge it is. It's like, and so she's, you know, she's mad. 
She's mad. And so while she's doing that, I'm looking out the window. I'm trying to identify the tree. So I said, Ash, which tree was it? He goes, oh, that one there, Dad. So now, difference between a dad and a mum, I said to Ash, I said, hey, Ash, how high did you get? Because <laughs> Dad, I almost made it to the top. I was the highest amongst all my friends. But when I got up there, the branch was too thin and it snapped, and that's why I fell. I said, but you got the highest? He goes, yeah. You're going to note that... This has nothing really to do with what Second Thessalonians says. He's not exegeting at all. This is kind of like a more like a one-man stand-up comedy show thingy. Yeah. And Leanne's, don't encourage him! Stop encouraging him! Don't you dare clap to him! It's the difference between God the Mother and God the Father. We, we, we've kind of preached... You know, that God is primarily concerned with your safety. The big bad world out there is bad and it's evil. There's evil. There are witches and warlocks praying against the church. The Antichrist is coming. The world is getting darker and darker. It's weird that he's mocking this idea that the man of lawlessness is coming. Because 2 Thessalonians... Chapter 2, in context, is actually warning specifically against the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. Wow. Talk about missing the whole point of the passage. And it's just obvious from what he's doing right here that he has not really studied Second Thessalonians 2 at all, nor is he properly explaining what this text reveals at all. Come in here, you're safe. You're safe in here. Now, listen, I do need to talk to you. As you come in here to be safe, no smiling, please. (laughs) Sinner smile. (laughs) And all these bright colors you're wearing, sinners wear bright colors. If you could just wear gray, beige, vanilla, lose your personality. Let's all just be safe. Don't have a go. Don't, don't step out and take a risk. Just be content with mediocre. The Lord just, the Lord is pleased with mediocrity, even though it's not in the Bible. Let me just, just live a mediocre life. Yeah, this sermon doesn't even measure up to mediocre. It would have to get majorly improved and upgraded to just to hit mediocre. I'm like, uh, what part of the Bible did you stop reading? Noah. Yeah. Build me an ark. Okay. Yes. Oh, well, what's an ark? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a boat, Noah. It's a boat. Yes. What's a boat? It's a vessel that floats on water, Noah. It's a vessel that floats on water. Why? I'm about to make it rain, Noah. Rain. Rain is about to come. 40 days, 40 nights. It's going to cover the earth. Yes, what is it now? What's rain? Oh, I'm sorry, Noah. It's water falling from the sky. Like I said, this is not exegesis. This is stand-up comedy. 
with? Is this candid camera? Is this Ashton Kutcher punked? Who is this? Water, how's the water get up there? The water's in the, it's in the rivers, it's in the lakes, it's in the oceans. There's no water up in the sky. It's never rained before. It's never rained before. And have you seen the plans? The blueprints come down flapping in the wind. It's not a boat. It's one and a half football fields long. Three quarters of a football field wide and three stories high. It's a carnival cruise liner. And un poquito pressure. He's got to save humanity. He's got to save the animals in a boat. He's never built it. At least give him a little start with. No, no. The Bible says in Genesis 6, now Noah was blameless in his generations. That's it. It doesn't say Noah was a part-time boat builder. He built the cruisiest ocean craft of his day. If you were looking for a rowboat to go out for a day on the lake, go to Noah. Noah's boatindustries.com. I mean, Noah had never built a flipping boat. He is now responsible to save this. Is, do, do you really reckon that if there was a God the mother, this would have got through? Do you reckon this would have made it through the screening process? She'd be slapping God the father. <laughs> That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You can't put all that responsibility on that one man. He never built a boat in his life. Have you even thought this through? And we're learning nothing. And I mean nothing about what the Bible really says, teaches, or what God has revealed in it. Jesus. Jesus. Like, there's no way God the mother would have gone with this plan. God is going to put himself inside a teenage girl who's not married. The penalty for being pregnant in Israel as a teenage girl was stoning. God the mother would have said, then he's born in a manger. Like, God the mother would be like, oh, you, 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 you couldn't organize scripts? You couldn't, you're the God of the universe, but you couldn't dial up Rady's Children's Hospital? You had to put our baby in a flipping feeding trough with saliva and straw. That's how you treat our son? I don't know why you're looking at me partly clouded. I'm just trying to tell you the Bible. You better believe that God is a risk-taking God. God put everything. He put all his chips. He bet them all on his son. Jesus on his back was carrying more than the cross. He was carrying... So, so God is a risk-taking God. Yeah, the, the whole Jesus thing was a big gamble on his part. So we got to be risk-takers too. This is so nonsensical the will of the father he was carrying your soul he was carrying my soul he was carrying your destiny and my destiny he was carrying the weight of humanity the sins of the world he carried up that hill and he stretched out his hands and he died on a cross this was his mission this was his assignment jesus was carrying my destiny (laughs) apparently that was sin who knew radical it was so radical that even the devil couldn't see it 
And yet somehow we've sanitized God in church. <laughs> Says the man who can't even handle a biblical text. We've sanitized him. That somehow God just wants you to have a safe life. Never take a risk. Never step out. Man, it's the wrong church. Right. The church is, the, the cross is all about learning how to be a risk taker like God. <laughs> like I said, this is the fulfillment of the deception, strong delusion part of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. This is the wrong church. I'm going to encourage you to give beyond. I'm going to encourage you to step out and believe beyond your capacity, your education. Step out and believe beyond your capacity. Cue sappy music. The keyboardist has now made his way to the keyboard. They're getting ready to wind down here. And the sappy music is to, well, uh, uh, manipulate the emotions to make people believe that the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience to get them to make some kind of a decision. Your abilities, your background. I'm going to get you to dream beyond. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll dream of something outlandish. You'll dream of something. You'll dream, man. you got to dream the impossible dream. Crazy. Pastor John said it in, in his opening, opening stanza. He says, the God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But somehow we've sanitized God and we've turned him into God the mother. He gave us a great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, go into the safe regions. Yeah, you're not even making disciples in San Diego. I was just there. It's pretty safe. At least the parts I was in. Just go into the places that are safe. I don't want you to go where you're persecuted. Jesus said, listen, you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. He says, now drag you before kings and governors. Some of you they'll execute. Some of you they'll murder. Christians were burnt at the stake just to light up the Colosseums. They were covered in... Do, do you think that the Christians were burned at the stake for believing in Jesus for a destiny? Or believing that God was telling them to be great risk takers because you know because he bet all the blue chips on Jesus? This, this doesn't make any sense. In oil and then set on fire while the gladiators did battle. The Bible says Jesus says, but in that time, don't worry. If you lose your life, you'll be wearing a crown up there. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the gospel is he God the mother in charge of safety. He's God the father. How high did you get? He's God the father. Come on, you can go higher. You can dream bigger. Come on. So God the father means that, you know, he's going to push you to to be the ultimate risk taker. (laughs) Yeah, my dad wasn't like into that kind of stuff. He was pretty... um, Play it safe kind of guy. One shot. You got one shot. Give it all. Give it all you got. Give it all you got. Don't leave anything in the tank. Don't leave anything in the tank. When you get to heaven, say, man, I gave it everything I had. I dreamed big. I went big. I stepped out big. Yeah, that's right. You got to dream big and step out big. That's Again, this is a total fulfillment of the deception and the apostasy portion of 2 Thessalonians 2. Yep, Jürgen is demonstrating to us what it looks like. To be under a strong delusion because you didn't love the truth. Step down and failed. I win again. I win again. The last one, number three. And the whole band is now on stage. Number three. And I'm so naughty with time, I apologize. That's the longest four minutes ever. Should I just move on? All right, number three is... This is what the, this is what the devil... and. Number three is God the meanie. 
the meanie. God's a big meanie head. Got it. If you think of uh, Forrest Gump, he was a mean dog. In a lot of churches, Forrest Gump went to that church. He was a mean God. He was a mean God. When I was in Bible college, you know what they told me? One of the other students says, hey, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't tell God that you find somebody unattractive. I'm like, oh, why not? Because God will make you marry her. <laughs> and I'm like, everywhere I'm looking, unattractive, unattractive. Oh, no. And then they're like, and they're like and whatever you do, don't tell God you don't want to go somewhere. Because God will send you there just to teach you a lesson. Like he'll send you to Siberia just to show that he's God and you're... Oh, you don't like Adam? Mon- you're going to Adam Mongolia as a missionary. <laughs> like seriously, the wicked witch of the... Yeah, this is not exegesis. This is stand-up comedy, just to remind you. My pretty is kinder than the God that's portrayed. That he's so insecure, so desperately insecure that he's trying to, all right, I'm going to give you poverty. (laughs) Makes him feel good. Then we have this one, and this, this has made it into our pulpits, just so you know, that God gives people cancer. You got the cancer. You died on a Tuesday. Gabriel, I, I, I want to give her cancer. Go get some. Gabriel's like, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know what you're doing here. This is philosophy, not exegesis. And you're not even remotely coming close to teaching what the consequences of our sin are and what has happened to this world as a result of our rebellion against God. Uh, Lord, we don't appear to have any cancer in heaven. God can't give something he ain't got. He doesn't. Again, philosophy. Have it to give it. A, A great ministry who comes through here, a dear friend of ours. Lost his mama when he was three. She was hit by a drunk driver. Killed instantly. He's just a little three-year-old boy. And he's at the funeral. And they've got an open casket. And he stands there with his little hands. Just able to see over the the top. And see his mama's lifeless corpse. And the priest comes up. Puts his arm around the little three-year-old boy. This is what he says. Seriously. if, If I paid him. If I said, listen. I want you to say something to stuff this little kid's life up. I want you to say something to completely screw up his perception of God. I don't know if the guy could have done a better job. Puts his arm around the little boy and says, listen, the Lord wanted another flower in heaven. So he took your mother. Like as a God's in heaven going, Gabriel, I want another flower. Rather than grow one, I think I'll take that young boy's mother. I could grow a flower or 
I could make this little guy grow up without a mama. So I think I'll take his... Let's preach from here. That God gives cancer. My Bible says, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. If you see sickness, if you see disease... So he teaches the uh, health and wealth heresy. Yeah, he does. And notice he's not exegeting any biblical text. He's just spewing out what he thinks is logical. You better look no further than the devil. People say, well, what about Job? Exactly. Look at Job. The author of the sickness and the disease was not God. It was the devil. Had the devil not have been involved, no sickness, disease. But because the devil was involved, sickness and disease. So we've preached a gospel of God the meaning. The God re- the gospel uh, is actually defined by Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture and was raised again on the third day uh, according to the Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's the gospel, the good news that Christ has died for our sins. Choices in your misery and pain. In fact, your misery and pain makes him happy. But you know what my Bible says? My Bible says... In Romans 8.32, that if God did not spare his only son but delivered him up for us, how much more shall he give us freely all things that we may enjoy life? Psalm 37 verse 4 says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. I've only been a Christian 32 years, so you may be saying, well, you know, you're in your limited experience. But in my 32 years, this is, honestly, I can't tell you how many times I've been brought to tears. At the goodness of God. At the goodness of God. The friends I get to do life with. The life I get to live that is so far above my pay grade. The people in my world. The wife that I have. The children that I have. I know that I'm not that smart. But you know what? I gave my my heart to Jesus. I made a decision. I was going to delight myself in the Lord. When you delight yourself in the Lord. He literally begins to give you the desires of your heart. The greatest so if you're not healthy and wealthy, it's because you just haven't delighted in the Lord enough. Yeah, it's all on you, man. You're, 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 you're blowing it. You better start delighting more. Do is delight yourself in the Lord. I don't understand why you say you should come to church twice. Because I'm telling you, every time the doors open, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you, he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah, the reason why you want him to show up to church twice is so that they can give more money. How do I know my future? Learn to read your heart. How do I know what God has called me to do? Learn to read your heart. He's already written in your heart. Every time you stand in worship, every time you delight yourself in Lord, he, in the Lord, he begins to highlight, he begins to illuminate. <laughs> Says no biblical text anywhere. What he's written in your heart. I remember sitting in church. And Scripture is clear that the law of God is written in our heart. Not some destiny or purpose. Maybe... 18 and a half years of age and I just had this 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 thought this flash like maybe I'm not meant to be an engineer maybe maybe I'm meant to be a preacher and I kind of felt like because my dad you clearly haven't studied and shown yourself approved as a workman who can rightly divide the word of truth yeah so if God called you to be a pastor you didn't do what was necessary to be qualified to be one it's just dissed everything that I'd suggested and then pastor Wes came over he was the assistant pastor in the church and he says Jurgs, you look like you're carrying something i said oh 
I said, Pastor Wes, I said, it's going to sound a little bit crazy, but I kind of feel like, I don't know, like maybe I'm meant to be a preacher. I'll never forget. He just stopped, smiled, and he reached out and he put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, you hooks, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a great preacher. When? It was a desire in my heart. The greatest thing you can do, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because if you delight yourself in him... You see, Jürgen has delighted himself enough to have health and wealth. Nothing the world, that God won't give you. But if you delight yourself in the world, you shut down God's hand. If you delight yourself in the stuff... Total confusion of law and gospel here. God will hold it back. But if you just delight yourself in the Lord, there's nothing. The greatest battle is your heart. The greatest, Second Chronicles 69, I think it is, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth searching for him whose heart is loyal towards God. That on that... Yeah, um, and uh, in all of human history, there's only been one that he's truly found in, like that, and that would be Christ. Um, wow, this is such a... Behalf, God might show Himself strong. I'd love to tell you I gave my heart to Christ 32 years ago, and there it remains to this day. True story. I gave my heart to Jesus. There it is. And uh, before I even got home, I'm like, "What are you? I just... How did you? It's got little legs, and then it's like piping off. I'm like, "No, we gave that stuff up." God, sorry, Jesus. I don't know how he... Here you go, Jesus. I give my heart back again. Oh, my God. What the- gave my heart back. Is this talking about his sin, I think? I, I guess. I don't know. That's why I come to church every week. Because I find my heart gets seduced by all the things in the... i got to give it back to Jesus. But if you give your heart to the Lord, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. He, he'll... he'll purify he'll he'll sieve out all the contaminating desires and he'll elevate all the beautiful desires to give you a future and a hope to make your life strong and fruitful productive and successful every head yeah twisting of uh, jeremiah 29 11 there every eye closed done <sighs> yeah uh strange thing uh we really learn nothing and i mean nothing about what is really revealed there in 2 Thessalonians 2. But what we did see is what 2 Thessalonians 2 prophesied about apostasy and rebellion and and deception and delusion. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite the object lesson because uh, Jürgen Matthias, I guess, was teaching us what 2 Thessalonians 2 really means by giving us an example of what it means to fall under a strong delusion because you don't love the truth. Wow. That was pretty awful. And you note, uh, yeah, regarding slander, nobody was confronted with the sin of slander. Christ and him crucified for our sins really wasn't placard, placarded. Nope, no. And then no one was called to repent and to be forgiven and bear fruit in keeping with repentance at all. And we had some pretty boneheaded <laughs> biffs as far as mishandling Scripture, like obviously mishandling Scripture along the way. Wow. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, 
on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.